Adam, Adam actually texted me right before uh, the service started, saying he was praying for me, he was looking uh, forward to hearing the reports of, of what happened. I just texted back to him, that was today. <laughs> if he's not going to be here, I at least have to make him sweat a little. Uh, Adam is a dear friend. Um, I suspect he's a great pastor. I don't know because I can't be here on Sundays, uh, but he is a great friend to me. Uh, and I do want you to know just uh, you have an amazing person here uh, who steps behind the pulpit each week. Uh, a few weeks ago, Allison and Adam were um, able to come to Redeemer Community Church on a Sunday morning. I think it was their first Sunday away um, from, with Adam being on the sabbatical. And uh, so he came in, he just, you know, looked like a load was, was off him. And I just said, Adam, I just want you to know, I am so, so jealous right now <laughs> that you get to come in here and just worship. And what a gift that you have been able to give him that he could just go and he could be poured into um, just for the next uh, few weeks. And so thank you for taking care of your pastor and giving him this time. Uh, he did let me ask you that his current, or to tell you his current plan is still to return, so you don't have to <laughs> worry about that. Uh, so the text we're going to look at this morning is 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is a text that I have returned to many, many times over the past couple of years. I'll begin reading in verse 8. Verse, sorry, verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry." Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus. When he come, bring the cloak that I have left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. If you would pray with me. Father, we pray that you would honor the very reading of your word, that through your spirit it would penetrate our hearts. My simple prayer for us this morning is that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore, but Lord, that your words would remain, and that they would change us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus, amen. So what makes you think that you will end the Christian life well? Uh, what makes you think that, you know, 30 years from now or even five years from now, that you are still going to be going strong in your faith. Um, I can remember uh, back to my years at Beeson, and, and Adam and I overlapped just, just a year with one another. Uh, but we had a visiting professor. His name was Richard Owen Roberts. He was old. I mean, he probably knew Calvin personally. Uh, 
He was so old that even when he said the, the word God, it took two breaths. Uh, he would say, God, duh. And, uh, and so it was, it was a two-hour sermon that probably had about three paragraphs of material. But I will always remember that. He simply asked the same question I asked you. What makes you think that you will end strong in your faith? Uh, he said that he knew many people over the years that were sitting in the chairs just like we were. And he goes, I have seen very, very few, perhaps a handful that have finished well. Uh, after he, he preached, uh, or as he was preaching, actually, I was looking around and I'm thinking, I mean, come on, we're all pastors in training. We're, we're young. We're all going to finish well. Um, but now that, you know, next year I turn 50 and so I've, I've been in ministry for over 25 years, now I definitely have seen what he's talking about as more and more and more um, begin to fall away. How can we finish strong in this short life that we have? You can actually tell a lot about Paul and how he endured to the end. You can tell a lot about him just by the simple requests that he made in his life at the end of it. Uh, this is the last letter that Paul's ever going to write. He's awaiting execution. He's in prison. Uh, almost all of his friends have deserted him at this point. He's old, he's tired, he's hurting. I mean, you think that it's hard for you at night to sleep because of all of your old injuries and pains as they catch up to you? Just, just think of Paul. By this point in his career, he's received 195 lashes. He's been beaten three times with rods or like police, you know, batons. He's been stoned to the point where they thought he was dead and they dragged what they believed to be his lifeless body out of the city. He's been in prison so many times. I mean, when you picture Paul sitting in this cell, writing this letter, probably it'd be best for you to picture just a walking scar at this point. Picture a man whose back muscles have been torn to shreds so many times, it would have hurt to sleep, it would have hurt to sit, it would have hurt to stand, hurt to walk. Picture a man who's either bald or gray, scars on his face, missing teeth. You don't get stoned or beaten with rods and not get teeth knocked out. This is a man who has been at war for his whole life. I mean, for over 20 years. This is a person whom God said when he called him, he goes, I will show you how much you must suffer for my name's sake. Don't y'all, I mean, who wants that calling? <laughs> Come down the aisle and God will show you how much you must suffer for his name's sake. And now he's at the end. His life is being poured out as a drink offering. The time of his departure has come and he can say with confidence, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. Wouldn't you love to say that at the end? Wouldn't you love to finish that well? I've seen now that you know people have been reemerging after the the pandemic, um, after spending a lot of time in isolation, that people are rethinking their lives, 
Especially after the pandemic, you know, after it began and, and people were living lives um, where they, it wasn't the daily grind, perhaps they had some more time, you know, the sports dropped out, all of that. And, and then as normal life has resumed, some people have been questioning, do I really want that life again? They've been asking big questions. What do I want my life to actually look like? Uh, for some people during the pandemic, their life actually got better. For some, it got worse. They began to drink too, drink too much, watch Netflix way too much. They began to waste life away. They couldn't go to church. Then they gave up on their Bible reading. Moving forward, what do you want your life to look like? And more importantly, are you going to make the choices that you need to make in order that you can finish well five, 30 years from now? Paul here, he says he has fought the good fight, finished the race, kept the faith. So he has fought, he has finished, and he has kept And there is a sermon in each one of those three verbs, but actually what I want to look at this morning is the three nouns that we have in this passage. The three things he asked for. He asked for a cloak, he asked for a friend, and he asked for the parchments. And I want us to look at each of these three things, and perhaps they will give us a clue as to how we can end well. In verse 13, Paul says, When you come, bring the cloak that I have left with Carpus at Troas. Uh, Now, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on the very first thing that Paul asked for here. Um, He asked for this cloak. It's a practical request. Uh, Think of it as a winter's coat. And Paul is in a dark, damp prison. Winter is coming. He wants to be warm. Uh, My mom's 82 years old. Uh, she sets the thermostat. I, it's got to be 90 degrees. <laughs> Paul does not have that option here. <laughs> it's a simple request. He's cold. Can I, can I have my coat? Uh, now, I'm sure there's many other things Paul could have requested. If somebody's going to travel all the way there, he could have requested maybe to make his stay in prison a little more comfortable. Maybe he could have asked them to... Uh, to bring some money so he could buy something better than the prison food he was getting. Maybe bring a game, a deck of cards, checkers, something to help him pass the time. But all he asked for is a coat, which might have been the only thing he owned at this point. As Paul is getting older, as less days are in front of him than behind him, He doesn't really care about things anymore. I have found this true with many people as they age. Uh, Paul, of course, has physical needs that has to be met, but, but other than that, things, material things, seem to have lost their value. And the sooner we can actually learn that in, in our life, that our life is not full of possessions, possession doesn't make our life, the better off we would be. As a matter of fact, for those of you who have aging parents, uh, next Christmas, don't get them a bunch of stuff. Don't just buy them a bunch of things because they don't want it. My mom is 82 years old. She doesn't want me to give her a bunch of things. You know why older people don't want a bunch of things? It's because they are wiser than you. They, they have seen that, that those things don't actually bring them any happiness. So just because you might struggle with materialism, don't put that on your, your parents. 
I know what your parents would love for those of you who do have aging parents. Uh, next Christmas, next birthday, just write them a letter. Uh, for my mom's last birthday, um, I noticed as my mom has been aging, she's a widow, and as she's been aging, uh, inheritance becomes something that's ever increasing on her mind. I mean, every time you know, I go and visit her, she wants to show me you know, you know, where everything is, where the will is, the inheritance. And finally, so I just wrote her a letter and I said, hey, mom, I just want you to know I've already received my inheritance from you. My inheritance is you, I grew up in a household that was hospitable. You showed me hospitality. My inheritance is that I saw the importance of going to church every week. My inheritance is that I know the importance of tithing, giving to others. My inheritance is you taught me how to be a, a good husband. You modeled the marriage. I was able to just write out these things. That's worth more than any material thing. Amen. So we can learn from Paul in this. We don't need these things. Just, just let my physical needs be taken care of. Bring me my winter's coat. All right, next. Friends, Paul desires to meet face-to-face with his friends. He didn't want to just have friends and keep writing letters. He wanted face-to-face time with his friends. If a picture is worth a thousand words, a hug is worth a thousand Zooms. Haven't we learned that over the last, you know, couple of years? You just, you just want to hold someone. Paul needed his friends to be present with him. He says in verse 9, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and he's gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. For he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Paul used to have his friends present with him. Now only Luke is left. Uh, Everyone else has gone away. Some left for good reasons. Paul sent them away. Demas, however, deserted him. If you want a, a good picture of someone who does not finish well, you just need to look at Demas. I think that's the reason he's brought here, that Paul brings him up to us. If you look elsewhere in Scripture, Demas is mentioned several times, always positively. Demas is a partner in ministry to Paul. But then when things get tough for Paul, Demas bails. But hear me, do not think of Demas as the villain here. He is not the villain. I think Paul writes about him because Demas is to be our mirror, is to help us examine our own lives. Because there is no suggestion in here at all of Demas abandoning the faith. He doesn't become a heretic. He doesn't give himself over to some form of ungodliness. You know, today he's not, he's not we would say he's not out making, you know, TikTok videos of how he was a Christian, now he's an atheist. He's not like going that route. Things just got uncomfortable being a Christian. So he bailed. It was hard being with Paul when God's calling on your life got really tough. Easier to live out the Christian, some vague form of the Christian faith someplace else. Uh, I recently, I was in New York City speaking, and uh, one of my friends who's a pastor there, I got to spend some time with him. I was like, I can't imagine like pastoring here over the last couple of years. 
What have you learned? What's the main things that have changed? And I will always remember his words. Of course, it's only been six months, so that was pretty easy. But he said this. I've changed the things that I think are necessary really to preach. He's kind of being very vague, and then he goes, I I guess it's this, Joel. I realize I'm having to prepare my people to be hated. I'm having to prepare my people to be hated. Because, you see, the the cultural tides have shifted. Uh, While there were still some revolutionary ideas that Christianity brought into our culture, some of those things have still stuck. They have been around with us for a couple thousand years, things like the value of every human life the value and dignity of women. That's something that Christianity brought. The evils of spouse abuse, which was common. Taking care of the poor. Those are all Christian values that were not in existence before Christianity brought them to the table. Those things, for the, by and large, still permeate into our culture. But there's other things. There's other things that have begun to fade Christian view of marriage, divorce, sexuality, gender, life in the womb, the reality of sin, Jesus being the only way. These things are no longer as readily accepted as they were. Actually, you could say that the world sees those things as immoral, not moral. And so wouldn't it be just a lot easier to, uh, to be like a Demas? Can you see the temptation of that? Like to just be a Demas, let's just not rock the boat. Let's just not talk about those things. Let's, let's not take a hard stance on those things. Let's just kind of go with the cultural tide and then I don't have to be, I don't have to worry about being persecuted. Take up some, you know, vague form of Christianity and just kind of drift. That's what Demas thought. If I can hold on to that form of Christianity and avoid suffering, I'm going to do it. And can I tell you, Demas scares me. Because I feel that pull, don't you? You feel it. I'm one of those guys, I love the world just a little too much. That was Demas, just a little too much. So Paul mentions Demas here to serve as a warning to us. Don't be like Demas. And do you want to know how you can stand firm in this world and not be like Demas? One of the things you could do is surround yourself with godly friends, which is what Paul is now doing. In contrast to Demas, we have Luke who stood with Paul. That was wonderful, but Paul wants more friends. And so now he asks for these others to come. Timothy, bring Mark with you as well. Now, to ask these people to come was a huge ask of Paul. Uh, It's not like today where, you know, they could just hop on a plane and they could fly over and they could be with him. This was a four to six month journey for them, one way. Paul is asking them for more than a year of their life to come and to encourage him. And it would have been hard for Timothy to do this because Timothy was a pastor. Timothy had really important work. He was running the church at Ephesus and he was doing vital work for the kingdom. That church had serious issues. He was the one who had to steer that ship. 
He was the one trying his best to hold it all together. And then he gets a letter from Paul saying, I need you to drop that and come to me soon. But friendship is that important. In order to finish well, Paul didn't need another letter. He needed Timothy's presence. Can I tell you, as I, as I get older and, uh, and my body begins to break, and I know, you know, you're like, you, you look such in your prime. No. You know, I, I, 10 surgeries, 10 years of just broken body parts. They're just, they're just going away. But everybody tells me, I, I, as I'm getting older, it's just going to get worse, and you need to find a hobby. You need to find a hobby. You know, you need to, you need to play golf or... Uh, or you need to drink the Kool-Aid with everyone else and pick up pickleball, which is what my wife has done. <laughs> and I tell people, you know, I, I listen to them and I say, you know what, I, I don't need a hobby. What I need are friendships. And if I could do an activity while fostering a friendship, I'm all for it. But what I've realized is the time that I have moving forward, I need friends, not hobbies. Godly friends who know me. In confession, I don't have as many friends as I need. Very few pastors do. We find it hard to be vulnerable. People find it hard to be vulnerable around us. And then who has time to leave the important work that you're called to in order to foster friendships? But now as I've gone through, you know, over 25 years of ministry and I've seen some of my friends fall or fade away, uh, I've noticed one of the common characteristics is this. They didn't have friends. Not the close ones. Can you sense the urgency in Paul's request? Come quickly. Quickly. He knows his time is almost done. When he said, you know, winter's approaching, he's not just talking about the season. I think he's talking about his winter. You also don't tell Timothy, I need you to do all these things, which is what 2 Timothy is about, and then leave it by saying, come quickly to me. Timothy's like, well, which do I do? Do I do all these things or do I come to you quickly? Basically, Paul is saying, in case I'm not here when you arrive, here are my instructions. But come quickly if you can. There's an urgency here. And he tells Timothy not to come alone, but to bring Mark with him because Mark is useful to him in ministry. You could translate that as Mark is a handy guy to have around. This is the same Mark that Paul and Barnabas had that heated fight over. You know, at one point, you know, Barnabas wants to bring Mark along on a journey and Paul says no and they get into such a heated argument that Paul and Barnabas go separate ways and they never work together again. Paul did not like Mark, and he let Mark know it. But now, would you bring Mark with you? Man, he's a useful guy to have around. I mean, think about that. Of all the people Paul could have asked to bring with him, Timothy, bring this person with you. Paul asked for someone who has seen him at his absolute worst. That is so important. We would be so wise to learn from Paul in this. In order for him to finish strong, he needed to not just surround himself with people who've seen him only at his best. 
He needs to surround himself with people who've seen him at his worst and love him anyway. People who he had a history with. There's a temptation for us to break off friendships for almost any reason. I mean, haven't we seen that in the last couple of years? You like that on Facebook? Gone. You're not my friend. You voted for so-and-so? Not my friend. For the slightest comments, we've broken year-long friendships. Don't do it. You need friends in your life who have seen you at your worst. It just, man, I, I love this. I mean, what, I love being a fly on the wall. I mean, think how God used this friendship. I mean, in that cell with Paul, you have Paul, you have Timothy, you have Luke, and you have Mark. You have over half of the New Testament right there. Is that remarkable? Over half of the New Testament in that, in that cell. I mean, Mark is going to go on to write the Gospel of Mark pretty much immediately after visiting with Paul. Luke is going to go write Luke and Acts right afterwards. And then we have all the letters from Paul. God used friendship. And we still feel the effects of that today. Now let's look at the books and the parchments. I don't know how long I have, but Adam just said go all afternoon. Lastly, we read that Paul asked Timothy to bring him the books and parchments. Verse 13. When you come, bring the cloak that I had left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Uh, Pretty much every scholar, every commentator, they're going to tell you that these books, these parchments, they're referring to the Hebrew scriptures, his Bible, with possibly some notes that he had had about those scriptures. Possibly some of the sayings of Jesus that were beginning to be written down at this time. Now, I find this request fascinating. Utterly fascinating. Um, For one, I'm dyslexic. Reading is just really hard for me. Why would Paul want to read at this time? That's my first thing. But why would he want to read scripture when he's just about to die. I mean, he's not going to write any more letters after this. This is his last. He's not preaching any more sermons. He's not teaching anymore. This is a man who's already hammered out all of his theology. I mean, by the time we reach this point, he's already written about justification, sanctification, glorification, election, spiritual gifts, adoption, resurrection, you name it, he has already written about it concerning the Christian faith. And if I were at the end of my life, I would not be getting out my Greek New Testament in order to try to parse out a few more verbs. Not even remotely appealing for me. I I wouldn't spend my time trying to memorize more scripture. I'm thinking, Paul, what's the point in doing that? Why memorize scripture when you're about to see the living word face to face? So part of me wants to say, Paul, the end's near. Get your coat, stay warm, gather your friends around, enjoy some laughs, talk about some old times, and then you get to go and be with Jesus. 
You have spent your whole life, Paul, at war. You spent your whole life studying. Relax. Why study now? You already know everything, don't you? And if you still have a few more unanswered questions, you just get to ask Jesus face to face. Not long from now. Don't waste the few precious moments that you have with your nose buried in a book. So I have those thoughts at times and then God snaps me out of it and he's like, Joel, you have missed the entire point. Why did Paul think it's so urgent to spend his final days studying the Bible? Because it's how he got to know Jesus. It's how he got to spend time with Jesus. The joy of knowing the Lord comes through listening to him and his word. Uh, To ask Paul not to read his Bible would be like asking him not to breathe. This is how he got his life. And I know, you know, we are saved by the gospel. We're not saved by what we do. We're saved by what Christ has done for us. But do you know how you get to understand what Christ has done for you? Do you know how you get to understand what Christ is doing for you? You read the Bible. Paul got to meet the Lord Jesus one day on the road to Damascus face to face. But he got to meet the Lord Jesus every day through the study of his word. Every day. Are you meeting Jesus in his word? You know, there's a little litmus test I have as to whether I'm really encountering the Lord or not when I read uh, my morning ritual. And I would encourage you if you don't have a, a morning ritual with the word and prayer to do that. So I, I wake up and I try for my first thoughts to be the, the Shema. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. And then my feet hit the ground. Um, confession, a lot of times I can't remember if I said it or not. I'm that asleep. <laughs> like, did I say that or not? Uh, it's kind of like sometimes when you say a blessing and like a minute into it, the meal, we're like, did we thank God for the food? Uh, chances are, you know, if you don't remember thanking the creator of the universe for the food, you might not have, uh, even if you said the words. But uh, so I, I, my feet hit the ground, I, I, I pray a little prayer, then I go down, I get my coffee, which is my morning incense to the Lord and to me, and I sit down and I open up the word and I read and I pray. But this is how I know if I've met with Jesus or if I'm just, I go through a Bible reading plan, if I'm just checking a box. Am I filled with joy? Psalm 1611 says, in thy presence there is fullness of joy. If I'm meeting Jesus in his word, you know what that means? I'll have joy. Not just a box to check. It doesn't always happen for me. I'm a pastor and it doesn't always happen for me. But I want to prayerfully, Lord, would you, can I hear your voice? Would you be so kind as to speak to me in your word? And then that joy of the Lord becomes my strength. Um, I actually learned that from, from my dad. Uh, my dad, every morning, he'd get up at 4.30, he'd get his coffee, and he would read and he would pray. Um, it makes me so excited that at the age of 54, he did that. He had his morning time, and he got to be with Jesus. And then later that afternoon, he died and got to be with Jesus. But it was still all along. It was 
being with Jesus. The word of God was so in Paul's heart, so saturated there, I can actually tell you what he was meditating on the morning he was writing 2 Timothy. He didn't have the word. This is just from what he had memorized. He, he had to have memorized Psalm 22 and Psalm 23 because they permeate all of chapter 4. I don't have time to make every connection for you, but, but in 4, 6, he says, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. Psalm 22, I am poured out like water. 2 Timothy 4.16, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Psalm 22 begins with the cry of desertion. 2 Timothy 4.17, so I am rescued. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Psalm 22, save me from the mouth of the lion. I, I could go on, on and on and on. There's all of these referrals back to Psalm 22. I'm not even sure if Paul was aware of it when he was writing it. It's just how ingrained in him was the word of God that in his dark, desperate moment, Psalm 22 comes out. When he writes, Psalm 22 comes out. I want to know the word of God like that. Do you want to be a person who finishes well? Who finishes with faith, who finishes with joy? Do you want to be the type of person who can finish their life and say, I have fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Pursue these things. Pursue godly friendships. Pursue the word and to spend time in the presence of Jesus, receiving the joy and the strength that comes from such joy. And you will finish well. Pray with me, church. Father, through your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill each one of us here the areas in our life where we need changing, I ask that in this moment you would change us. The things where we need affirmation or encouragement, would you affirm and encourage us? But Jesus, in this moment, through your spirit, may it not be wasted. May you do something in our hearts so that we might finish strong. We don't want to just read about you, we want to know you. Would you be so kind, so kind to press those things into our heart? We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. So I want to ask that you do for the next minute or two is just take time to prayerfully reflect on that. The cloak, the friends, the word, especially the, the friends and the word, and maybe just ask the Lord, what are, the, are there any areas that I need to be investing in? Are there any areas that are deficient in my life? And just ask the Lord to reveal those things to you and then prayerfully commit those things to the Lord. And then we'll close our time together in song.